As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means... In the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. Hello and welcome back to the Upper Quartile Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Aiello, and I am joined by the Athletics Colts beat writer, James Boyd. James, we got a lot to talk about today. You're going to go to Germany soon, along with the Colts, of course, not just you having a, uh, a leisure trip. Um, but that would be fun, though. <laughs> it would be. Uh, they, you know, they got to win. We're going to talk some bold predictions that you're going to make for the second half of the season, which I'm excited to get into because it kind of hits on some storylines going on with the Colts right now. Um, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with what I think will be referred to from here on out is, is the the Kenny Moore game. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Kenny Moore had two pick sixes and pretty much, I mean, put the game out of hand. To, the second one pretty much sealed the, uh, sealed the game for the Colts. And the first one blew it open. I mean, it kind of forced the, the Panthers to have to throw a lot, which is not a good thing if you're Bryce Young and the Panthers, uh, to have to throw a lot. So let's just talk, start with Kenny Moore and, and how good of a game he has. And I know he's going to come back up later in your predictions for uh, for Pro Bowl talk, but let's get let's talk about the game first. Yeah, I thought he was obviously incredible. He was the best player on the field, which is always hard to be when you're the cornerback. Um, well, I'll say this, maybe not the best player, but he was the most impactful player. Let's put it like that, because sometimes if you're a really good corner, they just don't throw at you, um, which is what the Panthers probably should have done in hindsight, because he dominated when it came to making plays in his vicinity. And I thought that this was much needed for this defense, which had been reeling for weeks. Um, you know, we heard the chatter. I was part of it saying, like, OK, is this the game where, you know, Bryce Young, he's a wounded you know, Colts secondary and sees a reeling defense and has that breakout on the number one pick type of game, which he hasn't really had this season so far. And newsflash, um, it was the complete opposite. It probably was the worst game of his career so far with the three interceptions, one by Saguna Luby in the fourth quarter. He did not return his for a touchdown, so he gets marked down for that. Um, but, I mean, Kenny was special, and it was really cool to see it happen in real time. The first one was right before the half. And that was a backbreaker. I mean, you got the Panthers driving to make it a one-score game, even with the field goal, and he jumps a out route to, I believe it was the, the running back, uh, Chuba Hubbard, and just took it the other way. And uh, I joke with Kenny because I saw Bryce kind of trailing him, and I was like, if you got caught by Bryce Young, that would have been my lead in my story. And he's <laughs> like, no, nah, no, nah, nah, I can't let that happen, you know, high knees and things like that. But, you know, he returned that. <laughs> You know, points to his turns out his sister is in the crowd, dances and has a bunch of fun with that. Wrote about that, you know, on the athletic and check the story out. Kind of a featurey game story. Um, you know, I did get some feedback about the story. I'll make sure the next time to at least include more like game analysis. So I appreciate you all, you know, with the constructive criticism. And it's not, I know Jim, you're like, oh, I don't worry about it. But it was I actually do appreciate when there is like respectful, okay, hey, how about this? How about that? And there's like dialogue. And I definitely appreciate that. But I will say I enjoy talking to him about his sisters and where he comes from and all those things. And then also to follow that up, because I mean, that was going to be the play of the game anyways. And everyone saw it. We're like, oh, that's where we're going to start. 
And then he does it again in the second half, and it was another back-breaking turnover. You know, Bryce Young drops back to throw a screen pass, looks like, and Kenny just jumps it. And this time, the first one was 49 yards. This time, it's six, six yards return. And he was gone. And it completely changed the game. You know, they were uh, the, the Panthers were driving. They were down 20 to 10. If they score there, again, a field goal or a touchdown, it's a one-score game. And he just slammed the door shut and basically, like, ripped their heart out. Um, so you see two huge plays like that. When the offense is struggling so mightily, Jim, you, you, you realize just how special of a game it was and how much it was needed because I don't think – you know, even if he had good coverage, right, uh, or had a pass breakup or whatever, I just don't think that, you know, the Colts win this game, frankly, without him um, returning those two touchdowns, not those two touchdowns, but two picks, four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. It was in your story. Um, I sent you these notes just because I thought it was interesting on, on the turnovers. I mean, the, when the Colts are winning the turnover battle, they're winning. They're winning games. Now, this is true of most NFL teams, um, but it's 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 become like a must do for the Colts at this point. They're, they're four and O in the games where they win the turnover margin and they're zero and five in games where they're even neutral or, or, you know, below. So Kenny Moore kind of took it upon himself to make sure that they were going to be above positive and, you know, hurt his old coach and make sure that there wasn't a revenge game there for Frank Reich. I think, I think, I, I think we all kind of anticipated that the Panthers, I think I made a joke to you on the, on the phone, maybe the, the week going into the game that maybe the rest of uh, the Colts, or, I mean, sorry, the Panthers staff prepared uh, for like the game they have there. But I was thinking like Frank Reich spent the entire bye week preparing for the Colts. I mean, again, he's not really that kind of guy. I don't think that's what he did, but I, I would have wanted to win that game badly if I were Frank Reich. And he had to. I, he had to. I think, I think the players on the Panthers probably knew that. So I think there was a little extra for the Colts to overcome and impact momentum changing plays like the ones Kenny Moore made are how you do that, especially on the road. So huge plays by a, a veteran and history only player yeah. in Colts franchise history to have two pick sixes in the same game. The third one of his career. And again, just a really great performance and something you don't see very often. You might see it a couple times in NFL season, if that, but Again, he basically was their offense, their defense, and their best player. Um, I'm not saying he's not their one of their best players every week, but again, it's very hard for a cornerback to have, you know, that kind of impact. And we were actually joking in the press box, like, after you get two, Jim, what are you doing? Like, are you playing it safe if you're the cornerback? Are you trying to like, all right, I gotta I'm greedy now. Like, uh, you know, maybe I, I jump another route or or I, I get out of position. Like, well, what's your approach if you're, you know, on a streak like that? Oh, it's this. Yeah, thanks for teeing me up here as a former uh, high school cornerback. <laughs> I would say that uh, once you get your the quarterback you're facing on tilt. So if they've they, if they've and it doesn't have to be just interceptions. If they've lost a couple fumbles or thrown a couple picks, if, I think once you get in that two to three range, that's when as a cornerback, I think you're just you're just hunting. You're just hunting because you know they're going to start forcing stuff and making mistakes, flinging the ball up there, and they're lack of, not going to have confidence. I think that's when as a cornerback, you start getting real, real aggressive. So I think that's Kenny Moore and some of the other guys. I think the other team, you know, his teammates are probably just like, all right, Kenny's got two. Like, it's time for me to get one here, not two. Like, I, I that's how I would feel playing safety, too. I think you start jumping routes and um, that's how you lose games, frankly. But I, I think sometimes you can't help but get kind of hawkish, aggressive, jealous, jealous of your teammate, which is good. You kind of want to see that from from them. But to spin this, you know, I guess in a different direction. Kenny Moore's, what was it, 115 return yards were significantly more than the rushing yards the Colts manage. And this comes with the caveat of when you do return two touchdowns, uh, two interceptions for touchdowns, the offense doesn't get the ball, therefore has, you know, kind of fewer possessions and less time to generate yardage. That said, the offense didn't do a whole lot uh, against the Panthers. Gardner Minshew didn't look very good. Running game didn't look very good. It was okay. I kind of thought, I mean, I guess in the beginning, you and I were kind of talking about, okay, is this a Jonathan Taylor like breakout game? He looked pretty good. He caught a touchdown pass. And was it a touchdown pass? I'm blanking on that. But yeah, touchdown pass. And, and so I thought that may be it. But that was kind of the end of the offense, really. They didn't do a whole lot, um, especially because we've been talking them up for for weeks. Of, you know, the only team to score 20 points a game and all that. And the offense looked pretty good. And Steichen's doing a lot with Gardner Minshew. And they just didn't have a lot of juice uh, in that game, credit to the Panthers defense. They're pretty good. It's a pretty good unit. They got some players. Brian Burns is a problem for just about everybody. But uh, yeah, what did you think on the offensive side of the ball? Obviously, the defense stepped up in a big way. So what did you think on the offensive side of the ball? 
it was terrible to be honest um that's about as honest as i can put it it just wasn't good um now i will say to shane steichen's point yesterday during the zoom call post-game zoom call he talked about how they were very conservative in the second half just because they didn't have to really force anything especially after kenny moore's second pick six which gave him a i believe a 27 like 10 lead you know in the fourth quarter so it's like at that point you just can't lose the game um you you know you drain clock you stay conservative and you force Bryce Young, who's having a nightmarish game already, to continue to see DeForest Buckner in his face and try to make plays on the back end. It's just it just wasn't going to be a thing that day. So I understand where he's coming from with that. But, you know, we're asking him about the offensive struggles. He's never going to say anything too revealing. But um, fortunately, we were able to watch it. And it was just, you know, he, he said all the things, you know, complimentary football. We got to be able to hit big plays, all those things. But. Looking at some of these numbers, man, it's like you just got to be able to get some plays. Um, and, and by comparison, it was actually pretty crazy, too. So the Colts were 4 of 13 on third down in that game compared to 7 of 16 for the Panthers. Um, you know, they had 198 total net yards of offense compared to 275 for the Panthers. They averaged 3.5 yards per play compared to 3.9 for the Panthers. So, again turnovers which is why such a big stat and such a big you know uh swing in these games this is why they won it's because they had those huge interceptions to basically put points on the board and to keep the Panthers at bay but this offense was was really stagnant really hurting and I thought that outside of the you know drive that ended with JT getting a 10-yard reception and you know making something happen on the screen pass to get to the end zone, the rest of it was just not good. I mean, JT averaged 2.6 yards per carry. You know, Zach Moss was at 3.7. Uh, Gardner Minshew, 17 of 26, 127 yards. I get it. He didn't drop back a ton of times, um, didn't throw it out, you know, a, a ton. But, I mean, it, it seems like a miracle that Pittman had eight catches for 64 yards. So, you know, again, it was enough. Because fortunately, you had an all-time great performance from your cornerback. But I think this was kind of like, okay, wh wh what happens when you don't get that production from the defense? And how loud does it get when your offense is struggling like this? Um, this is probably the worst we've seen the offense. And I, I put arguably because they didn't have any offensive turnovers. I know Isaiah McKenzie had the muffed punt, which was huge. But they you know, didn't hurt themselves per se but they certainly didn't help themselves, Jim. And I thought that it was a, a really just a, you know, weird, you know, fluky game. Obviously not having Josh Downs in there for a big portion of it was a big factor. And I'll let you hit on that, your guy because, I mean, he's special. And when, when he's not in there, it, it, you saw the difference. Yeah, I, I'll do respect to Isaiah McKenzie, but he's just not a factor out of the slot. I mean, he's just not somebody you have to respect um, in the way that you do have to respect Josh Downs, which is a wild thing to say. Uh, halfway into a guy's rookie season. But uh, that was actually going to be my question was, do we have news on what's going on with Josh Downs? And can you attribute Gardner Minshew's kind of struggles to not having his his favorite target? It was kind of his, his check down guy, his safety option, the guy who picks up seven, eight yards when he goes over the middle and does, I mean, Gardner Minshew loves peppering Josh Downs with targets. So I was curious if you thought that had an effect on Minshew. And then, yeah, would any 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 sort of update on what's going on with his knee? Absolutely no update because that's not how the Colts <laughs> do things. Um, well, I will say this. There's sort of an update. So he was questionable coming into the game with the knee injury that he sustained, I believe, during practice of last week. And so after the game, when Shane was asked, hey, was this, you know, a lingering effect of whatever knee injury he had or was this something new? He was like, no, it's kind of what he's been dealing with. Which leads me to question, like, well, why did, you know, he play to begin with? But I'm not a doctor. Maybe he said I could go, and they were like, I'm, you're just not who you are or who you should be at this point. Shut him down. And I do think it affected the offense considerably because I believe I had the stat coming into the game. Second on the team in receptions, second in receiving yards for like 473. I believe they had 40 receptions. And then he also led the team, I believe, in like 20-plus yard receptions i think he had like seven coming into that game so again those are your chunk plays those are your uh you know game changing plays the ones that kind of get you down the field in the red zone to score points and unfortunately again you have kenny moore you have matt gay who kicks a 57 yard field goal to give you some extra cushion but 
Um, yeah, I do think well, as much as I want to harp on, okay, Gardner Minshew wasn't, you know, good enough. The offense wasn't good enough. A big reason why in recent weeks, why they have been able to produce um, on offense was because their rookie wide receiver had this ability and, and probably still has it when he gets back healthy again to just get open anywhere on the field. Do you think this is a separate question? I'm just kind of looking through the cold stats as you were talking about him. Assuming he comes back healthy. Does the Colts get two 1,000-yard receivers? I mean, right now, Michael Pittman's at 593, and Josh Downs is at 483. So he'd have to to pick up the pace a little bit here. Um, But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're making bold predictions. I know this wasn't one of them, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to say no, just because I feel like Josh Downs will fall probably just short. And because of Gardner Minshew and just some of the limitations in his game, um, you know, you, you'd love to be able to continue to hit some of these crossers and have a bunch of, you know, yak and all those things. However, I, I just don't see him having, you know, a, a ton of those, you know, 300 yard passing games and things like that, that he had earlier in the season. And he's kind of airing it out because when he does air it out, it leads to turnover. So I think there's going to be some sort of balance there. I think for Gardner Minshew, I probably expect him to be around, you know, 250, 200 passing yards per game. Um, somewhere in that range, just because again, nothing against him. It's just with his game, it it's kind of like give and take. Okay, if you're gonna let him air it out, you got to deal with the inaccuracies that come with that, and some of the ball placement stuff that leads to turnovers. Or if you're too conservative, you're not able to generate points at all or any offense at all. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that Pitt will probably clear a thousand, which I'm sure he'd be happy with because last year was so weird. He had 99 catches. And less than a thousand yards, which is like really hard to do. Um, it kind of speaks to how bad the offense was last year. I don't think it's that bad this year, but yeah, there's going to be some growing pains, I think, throughout the season. And then there's always going to be that that off game or something like that where we could see um, kind of the performance that we saw right here, which is not good enough to really keep you at that pace. All right. So on the record, James Boyd hates Josh Downs. Doesn't think he's going to get a thousand yards. Oh so man, I'll tell I'll tell Josh <laughs> to his face, and we can like square up in the locker room. I'd lose that fight. No, I. Sure. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right. I think it's that makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at Gardner Minshew's numbers, and they have him for he's at 170 a game technically, but that's with you know the relief games factored in as well. So I think that's that's a fair expectation. Obviously, they're going to spread the ball around a little bit in Sagan's offense. Actually, the real question we'll get into your bold predictions, but I'm going to frame it to you in a different way because you had already kind of had a spicy take on Jonathan Taylor, which I want you to get to. But does Jonathan Taylor surpass Zach Moss in rushing yards this year? At, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen oh. at this point because. That's a good question. Oh man, Zach Moss. Zach Moss is second in the NFL in rushing, by the way. Just, just a. I mean, he is number two in the NFL in rushing right now. He's having a fantastic season. I, I, he must be the quietest, like second, like number two in rushing. It's Christian McCaffrey and then Zach Moss. That's it. That's 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 your rushing leaders. He's got a yard on DeAndre Swift and ten on Raheem Mostert. I mean, man. All right. He, also, also eight weeks. I mean, those other guys have played nine except McCaffrey. McCaffrey had his bye. So. Uh, anyway, really interesting stuff on that. I, I, I'm just fascinated. So yeah, give us the Jonathan Taylor prediction you wanted to make and then answer my ridiculous question. <laughs> okay. So I will answer your ridiculous question first. I will say that he does not surpass Zach Moss this season in rushing yards. Oh man. Just trying to think, uh, yeah, I'm going to say do not because of a couple factors. Um, they're not in playoff position in my opinion. I think they're kind of aware of that. And so you have to weigh, do we want to run our best player into the ground for a season that doesn't, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter in the short term. Yeah, it's a great point. They they paid him. So now they have to preserve him for sure. Exactly. And you look at Zach Moss, he's at 615 rushing yards right now. JT's at 254. Um, I know JT had a, 361 yard difference. So, yeah, I'm like, I don't know if he makes up that ground if they continue with this philosophy of both guys are going to get touches. Now, I will say JT took more of a lead role last week than he had previously throughout the season. He had 18 carries to Zach Moss's seven carries, but part of that may have been that Zach Moss is dealing with a heel injury as well. He was questionable to play and wasn't really himself. If he gets healthy after the bye, are the Colts looking like, hey, this guy with one year left on his deal or in a contract year, do we kind of ride him a little bit to keep our, our big time, you know, $42 million man healthy going forward and keep him fresh. So I'm going to go that Zach Moss edges JT and rushing yards. And I'm going to also add on that this will be a career low in rushing yards 
for JT. Last year, I believe he was at 861, which is career low, obviously due to the injuries, the ankle injury that kept him out um, of, you know, of, of a few games and also kind of limited him in others. So I think that this is going to be one of those quieter JT seasons that we look back on maybe at the end of his career. And it's like, wait, what happened there? Why did that happen? And we remember the factors of, you know, the obviously the four games he missed while on PUP, you know, certainly factors in. And then obviously, again, having Zach Moss sort of emerge and really show that he can be, you know, serviceable back in the NFL, which he has never proven before. I mean, he's having a career year this year. And um, and what's funny is they're in the same draft class, you know, so is this, you know, uh, is this someone where the Colts look at him and like, hey, do we bring him back? And if he wants to be here for, I don't know, two years, eight million or something, or do, do, do we do we work it out that way? Or can he get, you know, I'm sure he'd want a long term deal somewhere else. Um, But again, he's a running back, so I just don't know. But as for this season, um. I think Zach Moss will be the Colts' rushing title champ. He can, like, snatch the belt away from JT for a brief, you know, time in his career. And, um, yeah, and, and they go from there. So that's that's where I stand. I think it's – I mean, I think it's a good prediction. I think you're probably right. I like the point about having to preserve Jonathan Taylor for next year and the year after because, again, you if it was – if they if he was still fighting for a contract and was on a one-year deal, it'd be different. But now they really have to do things about the future, pairing with Anthony Richardson, make sure he's fresh. I also think – your point about bringing Zach Moss back is fascinating. I don't know. You pay one running back. You're going to pay two. I mean, it's, that's a lot. Zach Moss is at 615 rushing yards. That's more than he's ever run for in a single season before. Obviously he has, he's got more, he's already had more carries than he's ever had before. So I, I'm not saying he's wearing down or anything like that. I just, I am curious as to how they're going to handle it, especially because by all accounts and from your story about Zach Moss, he seems like a great guy to have in the locker room. It seems like him and Jonathan Taylor get along quite well, and he's effective, and he's effective to when spelling Jonathan Taylor, which I think we will see as the season goes on. So it is a fascinating uh, dynamic going on with them, and you know, not a huge impact in the offseason whether or not they bring him back uh, in terms of the financial impact, and and you know they'll find another running back if they have to to, to back up Jonathan Taylor. But and Evan Hall is interesting. will probably be healthy by then, and all those things. And so, yeah, but it is like I said, it's an interesting one. So I like. To I'll tell you what, I'd a, have a conversation like, hey. uh... You know, I might not be able to get you where you want, but we gave you your chance to be the guy. Would you want to come back, you know, and, and see how that all works out? I mean, it's a possibility of conversation that needs to be had for sure, I think, because like you said, they have to find someone to at least uh, offset some of the workload that JT will get. Um, obviously going into a fully healthy um, season next year, not, knock on some wood here, where he has a full offseason of training and things like that. Because I believe he's still kind of getting into shape. Um, he's had some runs where I'm like, old JT. I say that in air quotes because he's 24, but um, you know, rushing champ JT maybe takes him, you know, to the house or, or gets to that extra third, fourth gear, fifth gear, um, where he's still I think he's still kind of not ramping up, but there's like in shape and then football shape. And so maybe he's still getting into football shape because, you know, there was a time where he just wasn't practicing and he went straight to a game basically. And now he's he's got a little bit of I think believe about a month under his belt now. So yeah, but it's interesting to see what happens. And um, I say that with love, that he will not be able to uh, surpass his uh, his his season. Or actually, he'll, he'll have a season low this year um, because of all the factors. Yeah, it's more of a compliment, I think, to to Zach Moss. And then, like you said, he missed in the first four games. That's obviously going to hurt the cause a little bit there. All right, let's move on to your next one. To give you guys a little peek behind the curtain, this is going to be a story James is going to be writing uh, for later in the week. So he will dive into um, explanations a little bit more have a few more stats for you or whatever, but we kind of thought it'd be a fun exercise to talk out, kind of test to see how how passionate he actually feels about some of these predictions or if he's like, well, maybe I need to tweak it a little bit. So you kind of get in a little bit of a conversation between an editor and his writer as he's, as he's you know writing this story. So the next one, this is less a statistical-based prediction and more of a, a big storyline prediction, frankly, uh, with Shaq Leonard. This, this being, this last week, I think you really saw what the Colts think of where Shaq Leonard is at. And I think you're, I mean, you can spell out the prediction you want to say it the way you want to, but it's this might be the beginning of the end of the Shaq Leonard era in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's more of this, more or less the prediction is that this is the end for Shaq. I feel like last week, with some of the comments he made, some of the frustrations he expressed, you know, it didn't sound very optimistic about him, you know, receiving more playing time or having a bigger role. And then you find out, okay, 
Zaire Franklin is, is, is he's not going to play. You know, first time he's missed a game in his career, the league's leading tackler, all those things. However, with Shaq, you know, he doesn't play the mic position. He's the will. But I will say this. I did expect him to potentially get more playing time just because of what he means to this defense, what he's meant in the past to this defense. But that was not the case. Um, Saguna Luby started in place of Zaire Franklin and played 100% of the snaps. Um, you know, EJ Speed supplemented him, and Shaq Leonard was in there as well. However, third downs, which we talked about last week, Jim, you know, coming into that game, I believe he played something like, you know, uh, 16% or something like that, or a really low percent of the third down um, snaps on defense, and he's frustrated with it. He can't stand it, and this team, to me, as much as they want to they, – they don't, they don't want to talk about his role. He'll talk about it. He'll express, you know, some of the different scheme things he has to deal with in Gus Bradley's defense versus when he thrived and, you know, Matt Eberflus's defense. He'll talk about, you know, just feeling like he's healthy again, all those things. Um, the team won't – you know, Shane Steichen won't really go near it. He'll just say, oh, he's passionate, he cares, all those things, which is true. Gus Bradley's kind of similar boat. But they continue to show they don't believe in him at least being a factor on third downs when they constantly take him off the field. And I thought this to me was sort of like that, that, you know, clearest you can see it because again, when you have a guy who, you know, hasn't, doesn't have like some crazy resume. Saguna Luby, I believe is in his second year. Um, I'm not even sure that he was drafted. I have to look that up real quick, but um, again, he's someone who kind of capitalized on his opportunity and got a chance to play and, and, and start and even had an interception, which, um, you know, Shaq's been looking for that that big play, that that huge play, and it just hasn't happened. And so um, I think this is – we're kind of seeing the writing on the wall here. And unless Shaq wants to restructure his deal or if he feels like, hey, you guys don't really, you know, view me as this impact player, maybe I can go be an impactful player somewhere else and actually play on third downs or kind of redeem myself or play in a different scheme. I know everyone's been kind of getting on them. And I, you know, and it's hard for me to say, you know, I can watch the tape and say, Oh, maybe the, does the old Shaq make this play, whatever. But the scheme stuff is true to me, Jim, at least to a certain extent. Um, he talked about how he doesn't have as much like freelancing this, this defense with uh, Gus Bradley's more, you know, I, it's more like you you do what you're asked to do and you have like your keys and that's pretty much it. There aren't, you know, too many chances to freelance and roam and kind of ad lib, which is what made him so great for years because he could just, you know, did he do everything the right way? Maybe not, but then he would just do things his way and it would be like, okay, forced fumble, okay, interception. And his numbers are ridiculous um, when he was in that system with, you know, Matt Aberflus, and when he was fully healthy, um, he wasn't even fully healthy in 2021, even though he dominated, but um, when he was healthy enough to actually be, you know, an all-pro player. So I just feel like this isn't going to end um, with some sort of storybook uh, conclusion. It's going to be one of those things where we look back and it's like, oh, for this time, potentially, um, th this was a great player, but it just never really worked out, um, you know, in that next stage of his career. And really, it comes down to money. And I think, you know, with what is it? Forty six point seven point eight million dollars left on his deal, and only an eight million dollar cap hit next year. Um, if you if you release him, Jim, I just feel like, you know, as as much as you want to do things with your heart, and as much as he's been through personally in his life, and how much he's given to this team, you know, you've been around the NFL longer than me as far as like covering it and being in this space. It's a cutthroat business. Um, the moment that you can't be that player anymore, and there's an opportunity to, um you know, pivot away or save money or, you know, do something else, teams usually do it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just to get into the numbers a little bit, um, if they do move on from him, they'll save twelve point one million against the cap, uh, and it'll be eight million dollar dead in dead money, and which they could choose to spread out over two years if they wanted to. They could do four million this year, and or well, four million twenty four and four million twenty five. But they could also just take the eight million dollar dead cap hit and move on, and and they might just do that if if it's not you know a prohibitive amount of money, especially with you talked about his usage for sure, but there's something to be said about the way he's handling this and you know how he is in the locker room. And I'm not saying he doesn't, he shouldn't be frustrated. He should absolutely be frustrated. It's, it it would be infuriating to be the caliber of player that he was and then not to be able to get back to that as fast as he wants it to be. And maybe he never does, or maybe he does get it back. I, I don't know, but either way I can absolutely understand the frustration and then taking it on the team a little bit. And saying like, I you need to put me out there so I can show you. I mean, you're a hundred percent right. I kind of thought this would be the game where Shaq Leonard they did let him out there on third downs. They did let him play, and he would get exposed a little bit. Like this, you know, he was going to show them he wasn't ready. They didn't even let him do that. I mean, they didn't even let him prove he couldn't do it. They just said you can't do it. I mean, I got the numbers up now. You you were right. It was at sixteen percent. He's played nineteen third down snaps this year out of one hundred and thirty two. I mean, they are just not. Letting him on the field. And that was going into this week, um, this last week's game. So it's, it might even be lower at this point. Now, he did miss a game with the groin injury earlier this year. But, um, again, we talked to him last year. I mean, not, not last year, but last week. He's saying he's fully healthy. And I do think that, you know, he's at the point where at the beginning of the season was all about, hey, I'm going to do whatever they say. I'm going to be patient. He said it. My patience is out the window now. And I believe one of the quotes he gave us a couple weeks ago which I used in my story, he was like, you know, if I wanted a ticket, I could just go be in the stands. Um, and, and so it, you say stuff like that, um, obviously your team is going to hear it, your coaches are going to hear it, but it must be something they see either on the tape during the games or either during practice where it's like we just can't afford to do this um, and to not be even be given a chance. And the other thing, prior to – Last week's game, which obviously the defense dominated, DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore, Saguna Luby first career interception, all those things. But prior to that game, the defense had been terrible. Yeah. Him saying, put me out there. Part of me was like, okay, even if he isn't, you know, maybe you don't think he's that. Can it get any worse? You put Tony Brown out there and he hadn't played any defensive snaps this all year. And they still said no. So that to me was like, oh, wow. So like their, their defense is reeling. Zaire Franklin isn't playing. Saguna Luby you know, uh, is went from being this undrafted guy to a starter. And all of that factors into the point where I, I feel like we're, we're kind of watching the beginning of the end. So, you know, and, and I do think that there's there's a certain level of frustration and, and that tug and pull of like how to be a good leader, how to be humble, how to be, you know, a good teammate versus, dang, I want this for myself as well. And I feel like I can do this. And so there's that that give and take, you know, and and, and I do think that, you know, Kenny Moore kind of had the game that Shaq had like every other game for like a couple of seasons. Seriously. Yeah. Where no, he I mean, yeah. forced turnover. He had a pick um, and he was arguably the best defender in the NFL or at least in the in that conversation for like defensive player of the year and things like that. So tough. We'll see how it all plays out. I'm, I'm, I'll be here obviously to document whatever happens. But I do think um, we're getting closer to, you know, uh, Shaq just asking them point blank, do you think you're going to be back here next year? Would you want to be back here next year? We're not at that stage right now. Um, I don't think that's worth asking with 
you know, uh, eight games left in the season and how many weeks it is, whatever. But at some point, um, it's going to be asked. And I do think that last week was kind of like that that real crack. Like, okay, he's done kind of of doing the whole team PR thing. He's like, okay, Shane always says you know he's not going to talk about those things. I'm going to keep it private. And then Shaq's like, no, nah, I'm going to tell you how I feel. So, I mean, I, I respect it. I'll, I'll be there to document it, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I don't know if that'll jive with with what what Shane wants to build going forward. And and again, if he's not producing like the player that he was, I I, I think it'll be an easy decision for the Colts, frankly. And what will make this decision easier is that they have linebackers on the team who are playing really well. Which I'm going to get to our third prediction here. Um, Tyre Franklin, you have him still maintaining, uh, leading the league in tackles, this, despite the fact that he didn't even play last week. And this is, I will say this, not even that bold because he's still leading the league in tackles. He's got 102 tackles right now. TJ Edwards with the Bears has 100. They're the only two over 100. I mean, honestly, looking at the numbers, Alucan with the with the Jaguars is 92. Roquan Smith is 87. Bobby Wagner's at 85. That's your top five. Those guys are all significantly behind. I don't see them catching him unless he <coughs> misses more games. Excuse me. Um, yeah, so Zaire Franklin, I think, definitely has a shot at, at, at getting the tackle title once again. Yeah, I think that this is something that will certainly be something that he cares about. And I know, uh, you know, he, he he talked about it with me. He's like, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, and, I mean, nobody has done it, to, 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 you know, to this point. He had a 100 tackles before Halloween, and he missed the game. And so as long as he doesn't have, you know, some lingering effects from his knee injury, which we'll get further updates on that, um, and – uh, when I say updates, it probably won't be from Shane himself. We'll just have to ask, you know, Zaire how he's doing. <laughs> but um, I think it's incredible what he's doing. I think he's also on pace right now to actually break the record he set last year for, um, you know, franchise tackles in a single season, which was at 167. Um, he keeps this pace up with nine games to go or eight games to go. I do think that he could obviously break it. Um, and then not to be petty, I mean, uh, your defense out there for a good amount of the time you get more opportunities. And I think this offense is going to have those games where I know their, their schedule isn't all that difficult, like on paper, but there's going to, there's going to be those games where the offense struggles and he's back out there, might be out there for more snaps than he should be. Um, and, and, and again, being in that middle linebacker position, you're always kind of around the ball um, and, and he'll make it happen. He's also a really good tackler though. Um, besides just like getting empty stats. He, I believe he leads the Colts in splash plays, which is like, Basically, like a sum of your, you know, run stops, pass stops, pass breakups, interceptions, f- force fumbles, all those things. He he makes plays. He makes plays that impact games. Um, and so, I think it'd be crazy to look back and say, you know, you led the league in uh in tackles and you missed a game. I mean, how crazy would that be? Especially just considering where he comes from, being a seventh round pick, and also, um, I think all of that would lend itself to conversations about extension in the off season because um, he is definitely, I know he said or that he was the best linebacker in the league a few weeks ago. I believe it was after they had beat Tennessee. He was feeling himself. The team was obviously, but you know, I don't think that he's the best linebacker in the league. I'll say Fred Warner is quite frankly, in my opinion, you know, Roquan Smith might be a little bit better, but he's definitely the best, like bang for your buck linebacker right now. Yeah. Cause he's not That's getting paid call. much, you know? Um, and, and so I do think that again, we talked about Shaq and his future. Part of that future is also looking at what other you know linebackers you have in your room, who might get paid. Zaire is one of them because he's extremely underpaid right now, and I'm um, going from there. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing him back out there potentially, and then also just knowing what he means to his, to his defense, to his locker room. Um, if there's any chance he can play, he'll be out there. Um, and I was pretty much convinced that he would play last week until they ruled him out before the game. That's kind of just how Zaire is. He's kind of like Buckner in that sense where I'm like, all right, you didn't practice. I, you know, I, I don't know. And I know he really had to be hurting to not play because he's played through. And we've talked about it just casually, nothing about like reporting, but he's like, you know, if you show up on the injury report, you're really hurt. Cause he was like, everyone's hurt, you know, after that first game anyways, and you're just getting treatment throughout the season for the rest of you. You're never going to feel as good as you did coming to that first day of training camp. But now it's all about, okay, um, can he just bounce back, get back on the field and continue what has become one of the best, like, you know, feel good underdog stories in the NFL. Um, you, you look at him, you look at Kenny Moore, the Colts have some really good, like, you know, kind of like movie esque 
guys on their teams where, I mean, it's just unbelievable the stuff that they've done and, and the things that they've kind of overcome. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. I was pulling up the splash plays as you talked about it. He is, he got surpassed by DeForest Buckner this week. He's at DeForest Buckner's at 26. DeForest uh, Franklin And yeah, EJ Speeder tied at 25. Uh, just to give you a, a quick rundown of what Franklin's done in terms of his, his splash plays, he's got one and a half sacks. He's got uh, one tackle for loss. That wasn't a sack, 10 run stuffs, one pass stuff, a forced fumble, three passes defended. So that's kind of how he, you know, he's made it uh, a, a huge impact. And just to go back to the other conversation, just briefly, it's not even about Shaq Leonard and about can he do what he used to do that he's got five splash plays right now. I'm not even going to grade him on that. My, my thing is EJ speed and Zaire Franklin have 50 combined between the two of them. You don't maybe need to pay a linebacker that much money when you have two guys on the team that are playing kind of as well as those two are. So anyway, it was just something to bring up on that. You did mention DeForest Buckner, how well he's playing, which is a perfect transition into uh, our, your next prediction. We got two more to get to, and this one is pro bowlers and the Colts didn't have any last year which wouldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise. They were a train wreck, and I think you know most people didn't even consider them after the Jeff Saturday saga and all that stuff, but they definitely have some legitimate candidates this year with Buckner. I think Zaire Franklin might even get into the conversation. I know he's not a huge name, but if he does lead the league in tackles, obviously Roquan Smith is going to be the you know one of the AFC linebackers, but I don't know if there's anybody. I, you know, I'm you running through it now. Anymore? Matt Milano got hurt. Matt Milano got hurt. I was just saying a linebacker. Matt Milano oh, yeah, got yeah. hurt, so... So there's some other linebackers, I think, you know, some of the guys that might have been kind of shoe-ins for the Pro Bowl might have opened up a spot for Zaire Franklin. He's he's an option. But, yeah, let's go through who your predictions are for the uh, Pro Bowl spots for the Colts. DeForest Buckner, who I call God's favorite because I don't see how some party can be, you know, uh, 300 pounds, no stomach, handsome, you know, uh, family man and also like a menace on the field i'm like oh, <laughs> you know how many boxes can one man check i feel like buck could run for like mayor of indianapolis or the president of the country and he probably win because he's just that nice um so i do think you know jokes aside he had an incredible game last week and it would have been the deforest buckner game had it not been the kenny moore game and, and that's the crazy thing about deforest is he's doing this He's leading the league and leading the team in pass rushing as a defensive tackle. He's down his main guy right beside him, Grover Stewart, and he's still dominating. It doesn't matter if you double or triple team him, he always makes a play. And so I think that he could have got this recognition last year, but I think he's been even better this year um, to this point in the season. And it feels like, you know, uh, dare I say, if he doesn't make it, he might get robbed because the guy is, he's, he's been that good. He's been one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. And I get it. A lot of the edge rushers get a lot of love and a lot of attention, but he is, you know, one of the best, um, if not the best interior, you know, defensive lineman. I know, you know, you can throw Chris Jones in there as well from Kansas city and others, but DeForest has been up there. And I do think part of the recognition comes from your team success. So I mean, obviously the Colts, I don't think they're going to, you know, end the season with 10 wins or 11 wins, but as long as they don't like, completely like fall flat like last year at the end where they I believe they ended with like seven straight losses if they're got a decent record there might be someone or some people who are like okay this guy you know did enough and his team was okay enough for him to get this recognition so um call it fair unfair but I do think that the team aspect of it will factor in so he's my um one of my people Zaire Franklin like we talked about league leading tackler someone who again um it, it means a lot to this defense and continues to show up and make plays. And then the one who probably jumped up a few poles is Kenny Moore. Um, he had been playing really good. Um, he had he had been having a bounce back season after last year's um, sort of you know debacle with the hold in and then the the injuries and and, and not really being himself. He has really bounced back this season. Um, with a, you know got enough got some you know picks. Um, had the pick sixes obviously. And I think that he's someone who could be like a dark horse Pro Bowl uh, candidate just because he's playing at a really high level right now. And again, it comes down to how much recognition can you get for a team that probably won't have a winning record, in my opinion. So, um, you know, will three guys get in for the Pro Bowl from the Colts? I don't think so. But I do think if it's, you know, one or two people, it's going to be among those three, in my opinion, or even 
you know, dare I say Matt Gay because of all the 50-yard field goals he keeps kicking um, because he's been really, really good as well. So those are those are the, the four, I would say. I'll, you know, kind of gloss over Matt Gay, but Matt Gay has been incredible this year. And what might actually help his case is that the offense might not be all that, you know, humming throughout every game of the season. So if he continues to kick 50-yard field goals at a very high clip, um, you know, does that get him some some love to get to the Pro Bowl? But I do think my whole point of the, having that kind of bold prediction was that the Colts didn't have a pro bowler or all pro player last season. I think all pros still might be a stretch this year. Um, but I think pro bowl, if there isn't a single pro bowler from the Colts this year, I think they, they, they have a right to kind of be a little upset because they've got guys who deserve to be in that conversation for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the pro bowl is in a lot of ways, it's flawed because it's a popularity contest in a lot of ways. And, but the best way to, uh, to get an invitation to it, is to have been there before people have it, usually it's a good barometer if you have one in your back pocket so kenny moore's got one in his back pocket deforest buckner's got one in his back pocket so that'll help the one guy you didn't mention that i think having a better season has a few of these in his back pocket is quentin nelson um oh yeah. he's got a shot just because yeah. he's again it's just name recognition a lot of the time and so somebody that might be in that in that mix um and that that's you know I'm not, that's me talking about i don't know how many I can't tell you I I'm an expert on AFC guard play right now, um, but I can say that you know Quentin Nelson is a name and he's playing well, so it could you know a guy that could be in the mix. But I'll right, move on to the last one because we gotta wrap it up here on the last prediction wins. It's the easy one. It's it's but it's you know what I will say this they have been better than you and I both predicted at the beginning of the season, and so your wins prediction to finish out the year will be. Will be more than you predicted at the beginning of the year. So a testament to the to how well the Colts have played, and that that by the way was made with Anthony Richardson in mind. You know, playing all those games. So, so I had him at five and twelve this season with you, like you said, Anthony Richardson playing the full year, having the ups and downs. And then I watched the first few games, and I was like, wow, this guy's better than I thought. And he goes down, but they find a way to win, and they're now four and five. You know, on the season. I think that they get to seven and 10. I don't see them. And, and part of that is looking at their schedule and they don't have, um, you know, this super, super hard schedule. Um, I say that be, with kind of air quotes because the NFL is weird. Every game is kind of hard if you look at it that way, because you just never know. But I believe that there's three more wins somewhere in here, you know, versus new England and Germany, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, I think they lose at Cincinnati, lose against the Pittsburgh Steelers because their defense is so really is really good. But Atlanta, Vegas with the interim head coach, you know, do they go two for two or something like that against the, you know, against the the Raiders in back to back years or whatever? And and then Houston, um, you know, do they spoil sort of C.J. Stroud's coming out party? But I, I all of that to say, of those eight games left, I think there's three wins somewhere in there, and you have to throw in the whole football thing where there's always some weird game that happens every week. I mean, we saw, you know, Joshua Dobbs go in for the Vikings and know nothing, but because he's the smartest man alive, he just dominated. <laughs> um, I don't know if Gardner Minshew's studying rocket science um, anytime soon, but I do think that they're going to be in a lot of these games. And to the Colts' credit, they haven't really been, like, out of a game this season. Um, I believe their biggest margin of defeat this year was 11 points um, against New Orleans. And they were basically in that game until the very end of it um, with the big play, obviously, from uh, Rashid Shahid. So um, all of that to say, 7-10, and 10, I think, is a respectable record. Um, it shows you made some progress. And it keeps you sort of in, like, that top 12 to 15 range for probably a draft pick or something like that. And uh, you're able to get more pieces to add. But... Um, I could be wrong. Feel free to prove me wrong. If any Colts players are listening, you know, don't take it personal. Take it out on the field with you <laughs> and, and make me eat my words. But that, that's where I'm at. I will say uh, they're they're a much better team. I think they would have been a much better team than five and twelve if Anthony Richardson had been healthy the entire year because the dude looked good. Um, this offense looked pretty good with him. Obviously, having JT back factors in. But if anything, you just want to get through the season without any more major injuries to your key players. Um, so obviously a healthy JT at the end of the year matters a ton. Pittman, you know, and then obviously re-signing him would be a huge addition. But for now, I'm going to go 7 and 10. 
I like it. I think it's fair. Honestly, yeah, you're, I mean, I'm looking at the AFC standings right now, and it's just so it's so unfortunate there's no Anthony Richardson because I really think the Colts could have been like a dark horse wild card team. You know, they got four. There's four teams in the AFC North right now that are in the playoffs. I think the I think the Colts could hang with the Browns and the Steelers um, in the right circumstances and fought for that last spot. It would have been fun. I think Houston's kind of experiencing that right now, where it's like, oh yeah. wow, do we do we have a chance to actually kind of make a push here? Yeah. And they could. They could absolutely hang. And I, I I think the Colts, you know, I was looking through the schedule, too, as you were talking about it. I wouldn't be surprised if they got to eight wins. I could see them handling the Patriots in Germany. I could see them beating the Bucks. I could see them beating the Titans. I could see them beating the Falcons, Raiders, or Texans, honestly. So like, if you're getting four of those, I could see them getting eight wins. I don't think that's a stretch. Um, so, yeah, they'll, they'll be in it. And they maybe maybe they rattle off a few of those wins early enough that they actually do stay in the wild card race. So it'll be fun to see. Um, I don't think this is a team that's going to make it a lot of noise in the playoffs or anything like that. But again, it would be a testament to what Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard are doing, you know, to kind of reset this team and eight wins, I think would be a lot better than what a lot of people expected going into the year seven, even would be a lot better than what a lot of people expected going into the year. So it'll be fun to track and, you know, James will be there to document it all. Obviously you're going to be going to Germany. I'm excited for you overseas. You told me you're a great sleeper. I'm very jealous of that. I couldn't do that on planes. So that'll be, that's perfect (laughs) for you. No. uh, Yeah. You won't be uh, jet lagged. Even Hopefully though not. I wouldn't be surprised if they, that's what the, the game looks like for the first half is two teams that look like they're a little bit jet lagged, but it'll be interesting. Any, you know, before we go, any, any, any bold predictions on the game or, or anything Germany related, are you going to eat any fun food or what, anything planned when you're there? I mean, I haven't really thought about it too much, to be honest. I'm, I'm and my mom is probably listening to this and like, this boy never plans his life. Um, I promise <laughs> I think about these things, but I'll pretty much just do whatever the crowd does. I know um, we were talking to Colts PR and they're like, Hey, they're going to have a 10-minute walkthrough at practice. You don't really have to come because you can talk to them until like an hour later. And I'm like, I might just go anyways. I'm like, I'm in Germany. You know, my job is to go to practice and just show up and, you know, look at practice for 10 minutes and then walk around or whatever and do whatever. So um, it'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Obviously, the job will take priority because you got to do the job, you know, because that's why you're there. However, I'm definitely going to sightsee. Might even bring my camera as well just to – get some pictures because you never know when you're going to be able to go back to these places and things like that. So it'd be fun, but I'm definitely sleeping on the plane. Like I have no, like I'm not downloading any movies. I'm not downloading any albums. I will be asleep for the majority of that flight. And plus because it's at night too. So um, I will have no issues with that. So I'll leave Thursday after practice along with the team leaving Thursday after practice. And uh, I'll see everyone over there when um, the food might be a little bit different. I'll try everything. Um, I know, my beat mates get on me because they think that I'm like a little kid who only chi- only eats chicken nuggets where I go, but that's not true. <laughs> we, we were in, we were in Denver once and they had uh, I think they had German food. When we were in Denver and I was just questioning why they had German food in Denver, and everyone freaked out and was like, well, "Why didn't you try it?" I'm like, "I didn't know how to pronounce any of it. I, I didn't know what it was." So as long as they explain to me what it is, I'll try. Gotta it. try it. So, Gotta try it. Gotta try everything once. It should be fun. Good. I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to hearing both your you know, your, your stories from the Colts, but also your tales of, of wandering around Germany and, <laughs> and seeing how that goes for you. I know, you know, uh, everybody on this listening to this knows Zach Kiefer. He was just there covering the Dolphins. I know he's giving you some tips. Yep. So hopefully, you'll feel prepared, and your mom will feel like you're planned. You know, <laughs> exactly. We're working on it. We will plan. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us on the Upper Quartile Podcast. We will talk to you soon.